Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. This week on The Microscopists, I talk to Dame Ottoline Lizer, where we discover how she balances her full-time job running UK research and innovation while still having a research lab. I have a, a kind of sanity check, Ossaline sanity check lab meeting once a month with everybody so I can keep up. Where does she regret leaving the lab? It's just such a joy, research, which is, you know, it's what draws you in and keeps you there and it's, it's really exciting. And so to step away from that is quite a wrench. The dark side of academia. I mean, research is terrifying. You have absolutely no idea what you're going to find out. And the difficulties of the pandemic for researchers. Um, early career researchers um, have a, a, a lot of stress and anxiety. I just had to ask her, what is it that she misses most about York? I also miss, you know, Betty's fat rascals. All in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole, and today on The Microscopist, I'm joined by Ottilene Lizer, or should I say Dame Lizer now? No, no, don't say that. <laughs> also, it's been ages since I've seen you, and actually, the first thing I noticed, you've grown your hair. I have grown my hair. This is, this is an exciting lockdown experiment that was forced upon me by inability in, in to access a hairdresser, but I'm quite enjoying it. <laughs> you didn't trust any of your family to cut your hair then? Uh, I, I, I have mostly been by myself in lockdown, so I haven't had that choice. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, I, I've been fortunate. I've got a son that will cut my hair. So uh, after a bit of teaching, but he's actually pretty good. Uh, 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 all kinds of family um, ties are being well tested by um, these kinds of lockdown experiences. <laughs> so actually a lot has happened uh, since you were at York uh, with ourselves. Indeed. Not only did you become Dame Liza, but you also became Chief Executive of UKRI, which is a huge position. So I, I guess some listeners and viewers won't know what UKRI is and what the Chief Executive does. In fact, I don't know what the Chief Executive does, but sit at home by the looks of it. So go on. <laughs> <laughs> Have a brief overview of that just to give a feel. Yeah, so UKRI is UK Research and Innovation. That's what it stands for. And it is a relatively new organisation, it's um, coming up to three years old now, um, that brings together the seven disciplinary research councils um, and Innovate UK, which is the UK's innovation agency, and Research England, which is an organisation that funds the block grants into UK, well, into English universities works very closely um, in collaboration with the equivalents in the devolved administrations. And so um, what UKRI does is bring together all of that, which collectively represents about 60% um, of the public sector spend on research and innovation under one organization. And uh, it was formed as a result of the recommendations of a review that was uh, led by Sir Paul Nurse um, that argued that in bringing together all of these organizations, one would have a much better opportunity to tackle all kinds of quite important issues, 
facing research and innovation, one being um, interdisciplinarity and how you really get the most out of working together right across all of those disciplines and also all of those research sectors, so the public and private sector and third sector also. And the other being how you build a really strong interface between the research and innovation system and government, um, where um, both uh, it's important to have that interface so that government's keen on funding research and innovation, but also uh, research and innovation has an awful lot to offer to support policy making, um, both policy for science and science for policy, where science is broad sense. I think you said that before. That seemed very well rehearsed. <laughs> uh, I have been doing this job for um, just over six months and I've been doing an awful lot of introductory type meetings and yeah. one of the first questions always is... <laughs> what is? I was interested in interdisciplinarity. I just I really struggle with that word interdisciplinarity across the sciences. And actually a lot of people that are on the previous chats that I've been talking to Actually, some of them are physicists, chemists, biologists, and actually have almost, some of them have completely discipline hopped and yeah. changed and used those skills. And, and they're all really highly successful. So there's a lot to be said for that ability to, to hop across. But it's got to be a very big channel, challenge when you've got the independent groups still working of how to actually get them to talk more or to see, be more fluid in their funding and their vision. Uh, that's a, an interesting question in that, I mean, interdisciplinarity is, as you say, quite fundamental in research these days. An awful lot of the really interesting questions are at disciplinary boundaries or where there are really core questions to very defined disciplines. You nonetheless need all kinds of expertise from other disciplines to help you address them. So at some level, you know, I... Uh, came to my thinking about a lot of these things through my life as a developmental biologist um, before I took this job on. And certainly for, for many years, I've been working with computational modelers because developmental biology is a kind of quintessential multi-scale feedback laden system. And to understand it at all, you, you, you have to have formal modeling. So I've been working in that way for a long time. And, and indeed, immediately before taking this job, I was um, uh, working in an institute in the University of Cambridge, where, which was explicitly about bringing those um, skills from physical sciences into developmental biology. So it, it's something that's happening all over the place. And, you know, you're a microscopist. Microscopy has always been very much on, on the boundaries of, of all of the sciences. You need the kind of in a different sort of way, you, you, because you're addressing questions in a variety of dis different disciplines, but you're also having to build kit that, um, through physics, um, delivers your ability to interact with those systems in ways that you can then make sense of. So uh, lots of very exciting questions in, in interdisciplinarity of that sort. And then there's a the kind of flip side to it, which is where you've got some big societal problem, like aging or something and it's really obvious that if you're going to do anything about that you have to bring together people from all kinds of different directions and the UKR is exciting because it makes it much easier to do both of those kinds of interdisciplinarity it makes it easier for somebody who is really you know driven by some question that's straightforwardly within a discipline to um, access funding that might be from a different research council, for example. Um, so you could writing those collaborative grants with people from different disciplines in principle is easier when the, there's 
better interactions between the councils, but also uh, it's been possible to put in place these kind of challenge-led programs where you can kind of draw in the expertise from across all of that, that those different disciplines to, to face particular questions. So you mentioned there that you, you are, I presume you are still director of the Sainsbury's Laboratories or not anymore? No, no, I'm, I, uh, that this, this job is pretty much a full-time job. I do still have a research group in the Sainsbury Lab and I, um, they're being very patient with me in, in my uh, the amount of time I have to, to interact with them, but I'm very pleased still to have that contact with the science. So how, how, how do you actually balance that? Because as you say, it's an all-consuming job. It's a new, UKRI is new, so it needs probably even more effort. It's not just like moving the ship. You've got to actually not just, you've got to develop the ship. You've got to build around it. How do you actually balance and how, how do your lab group think about that? How much time do you get to spend with them? Are they getting enough of your time? They're going to listen to this, so you better give the right answer. <laughs> Well, so I, I um, obviously try to put in place some wider interactions for them. The Sainsbury Lab is an incredibly collaborative environment, so uh, uh, and colleagues very happy to step in and get involved with the projects that were ongoing in my group. And I um, have, I, I have a, a kind of sanity check, Ossaline sanity check lab meeting once a month with everybody so I can keep up and then I, I um, yeah, talk to them either by email or Zoom or whatever um, as and when, but it, it's, it's, um, I, I, it's a transition essentially. I mean, this, as I say, running UKRI is, is more than a full-time job. Uh, I, I, it's probably too early to ask if you regret moving out of the lab and to be more <laughs> full on with, with the admin, I, I think it'd be a very unfair question to ask if it was, a, was it the right step? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, of course I regret moving out of the lab and I will, I think I will, um, you know, I, who knows what the, what the future holds and, and this is, I'm doing this job for five years and maybe after that I shall go fully back into the lab. But uh, I think most people who came into research um, yeah, it's just such a joy research which is you know it's what draws you in and keeps you there and it's it's really exciting and so to step away from that is quite a wrench in in a whole variety of ways but I suppose what happens progressively is you well certainly for me I've felt that um, gradually I could make more of a contribution by stepping away from the bench gradually to doing the various other things I've done over the years. Um, so I was uh, director of this institute in Cambridge and really enjoying working with all the wonderful people there to try to make the kind of environment where I think um, the best research happens because it's, because it's about the people and it's about the research. It's not about you know, ticking delivery boxes or trying to get your paper published in a particular journal. It's about the questions you're trying to answer. And it's about the challenge of doing that and the, the excitement of working with people who think about things differently and bringing your ideas together. It, it, yeah, there's all, all kinds of, of really fantastic things about research 
and how you do it in a really joyful way. And that, that's what I think, that's, what, that's how I think it should be. And that's how I think the most exciting discoveries get made. And I'm really keen to try to create a research and innovation system where that creativity, that kind of engagement is, is so central to it that we really can make some progress, understand the world, make things better for people, all that stuff. So on, on that very note, one of the things you've championed is equality and diversity in the workplace. And, and that's not just gender or race, but it's equality across the, the workforce. I think the infrastructure and appreciating yeah. that wider infrastructure. And actually I can thank you. Uh, I certainly didn't have a classic academic job at York. Uh, I remember going for my first BBSRC grant for a piece of equipment for which you encouraged me to lead on that. Uh, and actually you were a fantastic support to myself. I, you were my go-to person when I had my grant applications to sanity check and rewrite it completely because as you tell me it was rubbish if it was. <laughs> <laughs> and guide me very well in the right direction but you supported uh, a non-classic academic to apply for grant funding directly. And that still I don't think is the case everywhere, even in the UK, certainly across the world, that is not the case in many countries. Uh, and I think the UK has been really uh, fleet-footed, pragmatic, and does allow it. But there's still people in, in more technical associated roles that cannot apply for grants, for, for equipment, when they are the people who are going to be running it, they're the experts. So you know, the technician's commitment, uh, hidden ref, have you got any thoughts or comments that I think it'd be good for people to hear of, of just, I think how the UK should be working in this area. So, uh, you know, there are, there are a number of ways into, into answering that question. Um, you started it in the context of diversity and inclusion. I, I think those two things are absolutely crucial in a successful research and innovation endeavor. Um, diversity, because you need a whole bunch of different ideas, different people with different backgrounds, different ways of thinking about things. They bring different stuff into the work environment, into the in, to, to the questions that you're trying to answer, and definitely different skills, different um, interests. All of those things. You, if you can really bring all of those things together and and work together in a way that's properly engaged and and really capturing the benefit of all of those differences then then I think that's how you get to make progress and I think that absolutely includes all of the people that you need to to make the make the thing work and that absolutely is the high-end equipment and the extraordinary skills that people like you bring in but actually I definitely include um you know well at York Jenny giving tea at cookies <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. Those I'm still people, doing it. Still there. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I mean, those people are just a crucial part of the system. Um, they, 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 everybody is building an environment where it's, it's possible to step into the unknown. I mean, research is terrifying. You have absolutely no idea what you're going to find out. It, it might be nothing. It might, the, the question that you're kind of 
desperate to answer might be unanswerable. The thing you've invested years in, in, in as your kind of best hope to answer it might just fail completely, all of those things. <laughs> and it's quite frightening to, to go there. And so creating an environment where you go there with people who are helping and supporting you to do it, I think is definitely the, the way to go. Uh, and it allows you to go to take more risks than you you would have been able to take by yourself and it allows you to do it with people and so it's a it's a community experience which i think is is incredibly helpful and and supportive through all the ups and downs and the the successes and failures that that research brings so i i think it, it's all part of of a really important and in you know goal to create this kind of shared endeavor and then you know that maps onto a much broader agenda which is to do with trying to break down the barriers between research and innovation and the whole of the rest of society because uh, it does have this reputation of, as being a kind of thing done by boffins in shiny labs uh, or you know dusty libraries or whatever and and that that's just not how it is um and being really sure to highlight the extra extraordinary contribution of everybody in the system i think is one of the ways one can help to to shift the whole focus or the whole kind of concept concept of what research and innovation is so that everybody can feel that they can join in anyone who wants to contribute can contribute and everybody can benefit i guess that's a, a modern way of thinking but there's still uh not so modern ways of thinking within it and actually getting the acknowledgements out there can be, still be a challenge yeah. uh, especially on the technical side I, I, think, I think i've been spoiled i'm york I, I came from essex which is pretty good i went to york which i think is just outstanding uh in its support and diversity uh, but that's not as I say, it's not the case everywhere so the more that it's championed the better it will be and thinking of diversity what about, as you said, we're not just in our ivory towers, we're not just boffins that are working there. So what do you do outside of work? <laughs> what do I do outside of work? Um, gosh, I, um, I, so I, I like to walk. Um, I, long walks, one of my favourite things, with interesting people, even better. Is that walking <laughs> or hiking? Um, I, I, walking, I mean, I'm very happy to walk 20 miles. I don't know what the difference between walking okay. and hiking is. <laughs> um, I guess it's mostly on the flat if you're mostly Cambridge-based anyway. Cambridge-based opportunity to walk up hills, but... Um... <laughs> Where are you based at the moment? I, so when I took the UKRI job, the um, head office for UKRI is, is in London. And so I, ha I have been renting a place on the South Bank for the week. And my, my plan was to commute up and down weekly. And I, I did that for a little bit. Um, but then at, at various points, I've been locked at one end of the other yeah. or the other of that, that yeah. commute. So it's, it's a little bit awkward. But um, yeah. So right now I'm in my London flat. How, how have you found being isolated from the family? Because obviously you need your support network just to, just to I, I guess, just some normality how have you found how have you coped with that um uh it, it's not entirely straightforward but um but uh it's doable i um yeah i mean without getting i don't know maybe i'm maybe you want me to get too too deep into my personal life like my uh, um 
my husband died six Ooh. years ago now and um i have two grown-up children and my uh, actually at the beginning of lockdown they were both in cambridge and i was in cambridge so i saw a fair amount of them then but anyhow the, the in the um, recently have a, a new relationship if you uh, and he lives in london so i um he's been around we're in a bubble and uh, so that's helpful <laughs> but uh uh more generally yeah i think you know like everybody this whole pandemic experience is really difficult it, it's just very hard for people in so many ways so many of the things you you build your life around are not there destabilized uncertain and i, I think i think that's tricky and it's particularly well it's tricky across all walks of life but um uh, the research system, as I've said, is, is inherently uncertain, both in terms of what you're doing as a researcher, but also the kind of career structure is very unstable. Um, early career researchers um, have a, a, a lot of stress and anxiety. And I think this has very much amplified that to have all the normal stresses and anxieties of, of, of being a researcher. Um, and then added on top of that, all the destabilizations of the pandemic has been really hard for people. So I, I, just coming back to your husband, if you don't mind, just for a minute, because mm. I, I know you've actually given him a lot of credit for your career. Yeah. Uh, so would you like to, uh, a lot of people won't appreciate that side of it. And just, just yeah. actually, you would not be who you are today without him, I don't think. I, I think Absolutely that... not. He, he was a wonderful man. Um, we met as undergraduates on a field trip in Slapton <laughs> and, um, and we married straight out of undergraduate um, and um, I was very fortunate to meet him so soon in my life and um, he was a freelance writer um, and so he was a completely mobile and b worked from home and um, from my point of view that was fantastic because um, uh, for if you're following a research career again you know particularly I, I worked in plant developmental biology and it's not a huge field and so um, the the places you would want to train the places you would want to work all of those things are, are quite um, constrained and so having the freedom to plot that course through my career because he was so movable and flexible made things an awful lot easier than I know for a lot of people. Um, it's it, it's very common to, because researchers work so much in the lab at that stage in their lives for researchers to marry other researchers. And then you're trying to juggle those two careers and it and it's it's complicated. So I, 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 I was definitely very fortunate to have that extreme flexibility in my, in, in, um, in Stephen and um, he, as I say, worked from home. And so when we had kids, he was also the kind of primary childcare provider, if you want to put it that way. And um, uh, yeah, it, it worked wonderfully for all of us. So on, uh, so, so, so moving from that, uh, is it still, do you think it's still as difficult to develop a career if you also have to look after children or balance that? things getting better i uh, well so i mean i've always i always felt it was a huge help <laughs> because i think 
you know that my kids are wonderful and um i it, it's so easy to get so kind of deeply sucked into your work that you kind of never leave it and coming home from a day at work to the wonderful things that are children <laughs> and all of the things they're interested in and all of the stuff you get up to being with them it's a it's a tremendous um kind of uh, it's it provides a, a kind of depth to your life i think if you're lucky enough to have kids that you just wouldn't get otherwise and i, I think you know being a mother made me made me a better scientist and being a scientist made me a better mother I, just having those two passions together I, i've always felt it was very complimentary people I, i've always been very frustrated by the work-life balance expression because it implies that there's your work over here and your life over here and somehow they're uh, you know there's one of me <laughs> and and i'm having a life and it includes some science and it includes a whole bunch of other stuff too and and it's who i am and um that's important i think so i got some changing tack completely what has been the the greatest challenge you've had in the work environment and, and how have you overcome that challenge goodness <laughs> um, is that where you are now uh, yeah i guess so <laughs> uh, at some level um th 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 it's different challenges uh, there's a whole range of different sorts of challenges and and um and so you know so have, you ever had a mo have you ever had a moment in your career where you thought good grief I'm really struggling at this moment and is it for me is it not for me um I've had plenty of really struggling moments but I guess I um I respond to really struggling moments by um why am I struggling what's working what's not working how can I um how can I get through this round this over this under this <laughs> whatever whatever it takes and and it, it's always been for me to i guess i'm i've always felt quite fortunate in a way in having a reasonably clear idea about what i was actually trying to do and i think if you've got that front and center and even when you're you know hitting walls which you do all the time um it's easier to say to yourself okay you know this is not working but i but i do still want this the thing i'm trying to do i still would like to try to do that how can i achieve that through a, a different route for example and i i think that's really that that's the thing that has always helped me through those difficult times having a having a idea what i what i'm trying to get out of it or what i'm trying to achieve and you know some of that's how do plants grow <laughs> but uh some of that's yeah how do i how do i create the kind of environment where people are having a really fulfilling time doing research and innovation that's a kind of abiding question that i've had for a very long time and why i moved into this job was because i i hope i can make a difference and you know support that kind of um goal and of course there are challenges but um 
if, if it wasn't challenging, then then someone would have fixed it all already. So, yeah. Life would be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah. Without the challenges. So you moved around quite a lot in your career as well. So you've been to Cambridge, you then went over to USA, I think, and then came back to York. That was a good decision, by the way. And then, <laughs> and then, and then back to Cambridge and left us. Cheers. Uh, and now working down in London. So I'm going to ask you, what was better, better place to work, USA or UK? <laughs> Well, one of the things I've always said about moving around is you, you, you live in different places and different places have different advantages and disadvantages and good stuff and bad stuff. And, and there's this really bizarre kind of human failing, I think, that you're, you, uh, you always notice the things that work better in the place that you're not. Because, <laughs> you know, because it, it's... It, it's um you you you're trying to do something I mean whatever it might be a kind of trivial thing or a big thing or whatever and and you know that in the place where you were before it was really easy and now it's a real pain <laughs> and so you there's a real danger of, of going around feeling endlessly dissatisfied because this that or the other work better in this that or the other place I, I you know I, I'm I view a lot of these things as 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 they're kind of holistic if you if you want you know there are wonderful things about the US and there are wonderful things about the UK and most of them come with flip sides that are less good and you you it is simply not possible to have all the wonderful things about the USA and all the wonderful things about the UK in one place because they're two sides of the same the same coin and I, I think that's I think that's an important thing to hold on to otherwise you're always just grumpy I, I can see why you're a, I can see why you're chief exec of yeah you that's a very political answer <laughs> you <laughs> give an answer you, 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 you sound the fence perfectly so okay so I'll go to reword the next question which you prefer okay. York or Cambridge I'm going to ask you what do you miss about York oh what do I miss about York um again I could answer that on all kinds of all kinds of levels um the department was I, I loved the department in York. I loved the university. Um, I loved the community. Uh, it was, you know, very much, um, you know, a lot of these ideas I have about the, how you build that kind of creative, positive research environment, I, I think I learned in, in York. And um, so all of those things. Cambridge as a university is much bigger and, and, it works in a different way and it's and so you, you can't it just can't be york it can't be agile and 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 easy in the way that york is but on the other hand it's much bigger and it's got all kinds of you know a huge range of different people with extraordinary um uh diversity of of opportunity i guess to form yeah so it, you know but those so so i miss this the the agility of the scale and the 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 kind of humanity of the scale of York. Um, and then I also miss, you know, Betty's fat rascals. So <laughs> on mail order now. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same though, is it? <laughs> so so which one had the best microscopy suite, by the way? Oh well I am in a sorry. Oh no way. You haven't seen what we have now. That's why. <laughs> well that's true. I'm not up to date, but the Sainsbury Lab had an astonishing microscopy suite. Yeah, and you never asked me to come and As run it. astonishing microscopy suite. <laughs> you never came to ask me to run it. <laughs> anyway, so when you're at home in the evening, what would you rather do? Read a book or watch TV, if you get time? Uh, read a book. And what sort of fact fiction? 
so for many years, I read um, kind of rather uh, sort of golden era detective novels. I, 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 they're just relaxing, safe, entertaining, all of those things. But I, I kind of got bored of those a few years ago and I'm now sort of randomly hopping about between different things, depending on what takes my fancy. I'm currently doing Somerset more on short stories. Okay. And if you were to, would you rather get a takeaway or cook at home? I'd rather cook, um, but I don't get a huge amount of time to do that. I'd rather eat. <laughs> so, um, I, it, and it, you know, it's another thing that was actually quite a big adjustment um, after, you know, my the kids grew up and then fairly shortly after that my husband died and so I went from you know family family eating to me and um and so I used to do cook at weekends and then eat it in bits during the week that was quite successful but now actually even that's um quite a challenge time-wise so I'm sort of yeah low effort cooking is what I do now <laughs> I, I realise we're nearly out of time because your time is very precious and thank you for taking it with us. I'd like to ask, what, what do you think is the next big steps in science that we'll see? The next big steps in science? Ooh. Um, it's very broad, isn't it? Sorry. I'm interested. I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting, so, you know, obviously um, Google DeepMind um, just AlphaFold AI on protein folding. Um, I'm interested in explainable AI. I'm interested in whether you can use AI to understand things better. So it, just using AI to tell you how this protein folds, it's great, major transformation, but I want to understand how things work, not just be able to predict or reproduce. And I'm that becomes then very interesting um, uh, because it's not, I mean, that that's to me is the kind of next big thing in AI is being able to unpick what it's done afterwards and then, and really use it to, to generate intuition um, as well as to generate answers, which of course is super powerful and really important. But I think the essence of science is about understanding, not just about prediction. So that's where we should all be building uh, relations internally. It, it's a big challenge, isn't it, actually, getting computer scientists, mathematicians to switch to biology? Oh, uh, I don't know, actually. There's there are some that are there, there are some that are there, but we need more. We do. Uh, and we that, need that's, people to switch. We need switching to happen. I think that moving about between domains, between disciplines, between ideas is, is really uh, something that I'm very keen that should be supported and incentivized and celebrated in in the system so if you're a mathematician or computer scientist watching or listening think about going into biology because we need your help i think that's the message that's quite clearly there it's team effort and we need every discipline really uh, and by the way i remember jenny for my first day my interview day uh, very welcoming and, and still always welcoming uh, Absolutely. So, so, so my sandwich that day was, was really good anyway i it is time i'm afraid i know that you have to go it's been a real pleasure Ottilie. we need to catch up 
properly. Again. Yes, absolutely. Sorry. I'm going to come to York. You're going to buy me a fat rascal. <laughs> I, I will definitely do that. And I will show you now that we've got the best microscopy suite as well. Okay. <laughs> so thank you for watching the microscopies today. Thank you, Arteline, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and go back and actually see some of the other clips. Oh, I should say, actually, there's one bite with Alison North as well, who I believe was actually a peer with you at Cambridge Junior you Undergraduate. undergraduate with me a long time ago now. Yes. No, I, I forgot. Yeah. Alison says hello, by the way. So anyway, thank you, everyone, and hopefully see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.